sure necessarily if you guys are aware, but our youth groups uh, have a very close connection. Um, it's a very strange circumstance for me growing up in Pittsburgh. Uh, the closest Church of Christ was 35, 40, 45 minutes away. Uh, and so the only time I saw other church youth groups was at Winterfest or church camp or once every six month youth rally sort of thing. Um, but almost every other week, every three weeks, there's some sort of event where five or six Northland kids are at Spring Road, four or five uh, Spring Road kids are over at Northland. So uh, they get to feel the impact of the universal church, uh, that the church is not just one building and one community, that it's much vaster and and larger, and I think that's a really cool thing. And so I'm excited. This is my first time here at Spring Road with you guys, uh, and very honored to be here. Uh, but as I think about kind of the, the purpose of the church, uh, and that especially that these youth group kids are getting to witness, it's that the, the church is there to encourage, it's there to help you in your faith, uh, it, it is there to help you be closer to Jesus. Uh, and that's kind of the, the main message of this book that you guys have been reading, is to stay faithful, don't give up, stick with it, um, and I, I think that's a beautiful thing for, for them to see. Um, and I imagine all of you uh, are believers. And if you're not all believers, um, then certainly stay around and talk some more. But that, that's my guess is most people who come to a midweek sort of service are either all in on Jesus anyways, uh, or they're like 95% of the way there and they're just kind of getting ready to make that decision. But most people who attend a Wednesday service, they're committed to Jesus. Uh, but when you're committed to Jesus, um, you begin to live a life of faith. And a life of faith is great, um, but it also has challenges. And Jesus essentially promised us, if you live faithfully, you will face persecution. And then his apostles came by and said, continue to live faithfully throughout your persecution. And then the message of this book is, don't give up despite all of the persecution. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the message of Christianity, is Jesus is worth it. You need to be all in but you're going to face some difficult things. Um, and so you've been kind of reading all these different chapters. I haven't gotten to read the whole book yet, so I'm actually a couple chapters behind where then I got to my chapter for today. Uh, but now you're in this section of confidence. Uh, and so that's kind of the chapter we're at now, uh, which is exciting for me because I'm a happy guy. I'm a positive guy. Uh, and so this chapter is all about why we can be confident in our faith. Um, why do we not give up? That's essentially the question that this chapter addresses. Like if you have the option of give up on faith or stick with it, why stick with it? And this chapter essentially comes down to say, because we're confident in Jesus. And when you're confident in Jesus, you don't give up. So we're going to talk a lot about confidence tonight. We're going to be flipping through Hebrews. If you want to open your Bibles there, that's, we're going to stick, I think, entirely in Hebrews. Uh, and so uh, and we'll be in a couple different chapters. Hebrews 1 is where we'll start uh, and we'll go from there. Uh, but Hebrews is, is a book that just kind of, it, it's so cool. It just talks about Jesus so much. Uh, how Jesus is better than all these different things. How Jesus is the greatest that could possibly be. Uh, and why we should be confident in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we'll, we'll deal with that sort of confidence in a minute. But first I want to do a little social experiment with you guys. Um, as far as confidence is concerned, uh, the United States happens to be a country that is full of confidence. Um, I don't know how much you guys notice that. I, I imagine most of you witnessed that. But the United States is a very confident nation, um, from the, the government to the way sports work, to the way companies work, to the way school systems work. Like, we're just very confident people. Um, and the United States speaks very heavily into self-confidence. And so I'm just going to ask if you would raise your hands if you've heard the following phrase at some point, let's say maybe in the last 5, 10 years, 
Um, and so if you haven't heard the phrase, you know, leave your hand down. If you've heard it, raise your hand. I'm going to say five phrases. After each one, you can put your hand down um, and then raise it back up. My expectations is that most of you will probably have heard these phrases. So we're going to start off nice and easy. If you've heard this phrase some point in the last five, ten years, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Oh, see, look at that. Most, most hands go up. How about uh, the sky's the limit? Okay, oh, yeah, so you guys have heard this. How about reach for the stars? Okay, you guys are good. How about, you can do anything you put your mind to. Oh, wow, so you guys, all right, this one might be the hardest. This came out, I was talking with my wife, I think maybe in the last five to ten years. Um, she believed, so she did. Oh, look at that. See, lots of hands still go up. All right, so we, we know these phrases, and every single one of them essentially shares the same message. You can do it. Uh, no matter what goal you have in mind, you can do it. No matter what resources you have, you can do it. You can be the poorest person and you can be a billionaire. It's the American dream. You can do it. You can come from a horribly abusive family and you can have the most perfect family. Uh, just try hard and you can do it. And that's the message that America teaches. But as Christians, what is the potential danger in a message like that? And I'll open it up to anyone if you want to raise your hand. What's the danger that that message could share? Yeah, so we can rely more on ourselves than on God. Um, anyone else want to add on to that? Yeah, go ahead. Sure, so you, you have lies based instead of truth based. And, and because in all honesty, um, can you do anything you put your mind to? You know, maybe if all the odds work out, you know, potentially, but then can you consistently do whatever you put your mind to? And, and the reality is at some point you're going to fail. Uh, because you're human, and that's what humans do. We can try really, really hard and do a lot of great things, but at the end of the day, there's only one person who's ever lived a perfect life, and we believe that to be Jesus, the Son of God, which is what the book of Hebrews talks about. Uh, but one of, the phrase, one of the reasons that these phrases are so prevalent, that you've heard all five of these different phrases that said the exact same message, essentially, the reason you hear this is because when there's all these other things that you could talk about, you know, shootings that happen, robberies that happen, all these other crimes, the violence, you, know, you could talk about that or the media could latch on to these confidence, self-boosting sort of statements and stories. And so then that kind of becomes the, the general talk whenever anything is happy, is believe in yourself, you can do whatever. And so recently, uh, I don't know, not everyone follows football necessarily, um, but a little bit closer to home in Cleveland. Uh, there is a team called the Cleveland Browns, um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh. I should just openly admit that, so I will always cheer Pittsburgh. Uh, but the media has latched on to a Cleveland Browns story, uh, and it started just because of what happened one week ago, I think today or yesterday. So, I mean, this is very, very recent. Uh, but there was a guy, his name is Damon Sheehy Giuseppe, um, and he was absolutely poor. Uh, had very little money, but whatever money he had, he spent every single penny, um, and he went down, I think it was to Florida, to Miami, where they were doing NFL tryouts, uh, which is fine and all, except for he didn't have an invitation. And you need an invitation to show up to a tryout for all these teams. Well, he showed up, and then he said, well, it's okay, because I know the Cleveland Browns head of personnel, and he said I could come. And people are like, oh, okay, well, I guess, yeah, he had a connection, no problem, you know, put him to play. And so he, he played and, and tried out, and they're like, okay, he's, he's pretty good. Um, and so then they, they told the head of player personnel, they said, hey, this is a pretty good guy you brought in. He said, I've never heard of him before. Um, and they're like, 
oh, so he just lied to get in? And they're like, yeah. They're like, oh, well, I mean, he's, he's got some decent talent. Why don't we go ahead and bring him in? Um, and so they brought him back up to Cleveland so he could play and practice on, on the kind of summer tryout team before the NFL season begins. He still has no money at this point, And so he sleeps outside of a gym in order for him to go in and take a shower and work out still. Um, and then he's working really, really hard on the practice field. And people are like, okay, he's fast. He seems talented. Uh, we'll, we'll let him play. And so the first Cleveland Browns preseason game was last week. And I don't know if you guys know much about football, but there's a punt and he happened to be the punt returner. And so they punt the ball, and then he catches it, and then you run either as far as you can, or theoretically you would run and, and get a touchdown. Well, he took the ball 86 yards for a touchdown. And so the crowd's going wild, the team's running down. I, I didn't watch the game, because again, I'm a Steelers fan, so I won't watch that. Um, but I, I, I can imagine the commentators essentially being like, all right, who, who's this guy with a really hard-to-pronounce last name? And so they're searching him up in the database, and it's like, okay, I don't even know what college he came from. You know, wh where is this guy? And so then they find this story, and they find out, essentially, this is a guy who is willing to be homeless and lie to become a player in the NFL, and then he shows up and does amazing things. And then it's been this wild story of, wow, just do whatever you can, pursue your dreams, look at what you can do. And it's this great feel-good story, except for what's the problem with the message that this sends if you're a Christian? I'll open this up again. What's, what's the problem of a story like this when it comes to our faith? Go ahead. The end doesn't justify the means. But that's what this story wants to say. Which again, I'm, I'm happy this guy is no longer homeless. I'm happy he's, he's got a chance to pursue his dreams. But the message that this begins to send to people all throughout our country is... It's fine if you lie, if it's for a good purpose and if it's to suit you. It's, it's fine to gamble everything you've got on, on a long shot. Uh, because let's be honest, if you invested all your money to go be whatever career you're in, to be one of the best, I'm not saying you guys aren't the best, but it's a long shot for you to all of a sudden be one of the top couple hundred people in a nation of 300 million or whatever. I mean, that's, it's a long shot. And yet his dreams and his hopes are all kind of built upon a foundation of a gamble at a long shot and a lie. And again, it's, it's a good story. It's just we hear a lot of these stories that essentially say, do whatever you want, pursue your dreams, be confident in yourself, you can do it. And guys, when I, when I read the Bible, I just, I don't walk away with that sort of story. Confidence in yourself is fine, but that's not going to get you to where you really want to be at the end of time. Um, and, but the, the media really likes these underdog stories too. I mean, hey, we can go all the way back to the Bible and we find that, that same thing. Story of David and Goliath. Uh, who is the hero in the story of David and Goliath? All right, well, I, I have two answers that I'm hearing. One is David. What's the other one? God. All right, so if, if we're going to put these two out there, right, this is what society, um, and even in the story itself, David comes and he beats Goliath. How does David really beat Goliath? He throws a rock at his head. He throws a rock at his head. But how does David really beat Goliath? God's with him. Except for then there's King Saul. And what does Saul see as the hero of this story? Saul sees David as the hero of the story. Because Saul's not keeping his mind on God. See, see David can enter a situation where he knows he shouldn't be able to win... But David doesn't care about his own confidence. He's not going in there confident in himself. 
He says, Goliath, you've insulted Israel. You've insulted the almighty Yahweh God. You don't stand a chance against the God of the universe. And Saul, all Saul sees is, here's a scrawny little teenager who's trying to beat up a giant. And all he's got is a rock compared to like this huge and heavy shield and javelin. And that story from David's perspective is that when your confidence is God is you can win. And from Saul's perspective, it's, oh, this guy's really confident and now he's a threat to my kingdom and th- this is troublesome. And, and, and so I, I want us to shift to kind of be in David's perspective as, as we read through Hebrews that our confidence is going to be in God. Uh, it's not going to be in ourselves. I, I want you guys to live righteously and faithfully, um, but I don't care how righteous of a life you live. Jesus is the one who's going to take you into heaven, not your righteous actions. And that's going to be the message that we kind of read. So if you want to go ahead and open up, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 1. And I I kind of want to just do this as kind of read a couple verses, and we'll open it up to kind of sharing based on um, a very simple question that I'll ask. So if if I can have some volunteers to read, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1, and then verses 1 through 4. If I could have a volunteer read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You would? Go ahead for me. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, so there's some great stuff. Like this is how this is why Hebrews is probably in like my top three favorite, definitely top three favorite New Testament books uh, is because it just really exalts who Jesus is. Uh, and we're followers of Jesus. We're followers of Christ, hence the name Christians. Like that's who we are. Uh, and, and this book just kind of jumps right into that. And so this is what we're going to do throughout the rest of the uh, throughout the rest of the evening. We're going to read some passages And then I'm going to open it up to you guys, based upon these passages, why should we be confident in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Um, So based on these opening verses, you can pull the phrases right from this. You can share just the the impression it gives you. Uh, But based on these first four verses of a book that is going to be several chapters worth of essentially giving you the reasons why to believe in Jesus, why does this give you confidence that Jesus is Lord and Savior? And so I'll just open it up. You can raise your hand or you can shout it out, I guess. But um, what in these first couple of verses sticks out? Why do we have confidence? He's the heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Yeah, the heir of all things. If you're going to trust any one individual to be Lord of your life, it's pretty good when they are the heir of all things, including life and everything in it. So I, should we be confident in Jesus based on these verses here? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just kind of repeat that if you if you didn't hear. When you are around Jesus, He is the exact representation. Um, you're, you're not getting a kind of a cheap knockoff copy of something. 
Um, I, I have these tennis shoes. I really like uh, Nike's tennis shoes. Uh, but they're like, you know, $60, $80 for a pair of shoes. And, and I like them, but I'm, I don't buy them that often because they're a little bit pricier when it comes to shoes. Well, so we went to Walmart to prep for camp. And I was like, I want another pair of shoes to wear at camp, but I really just like this one style. That's all I really like. Um, and so we found these Walmart knockoff brands that were like, what, $8, $10? And they look very similar to my shoes. Uh, but once you wear them, like, you can feel the quality significantly different. But if I was just standing here and you glance down at my feet, I'm, I'm wearing dress clothes, so it doesn't work in this scenario, but uh, those shoes, they, they could pass off as kind of a cheap knockoff version. Jesus isn't a cheap knockoff version of God. Um, well, you can get a, as close as you want to Jesus. You could view Jesus from afar, and he will be the exact representation of who God is. Uh, even as you just peer in with a microscope and say, okay, but Jesus, he said this. You can look at every word of Jesus, and he'll come back to say, yeah, he's, he is God, and he's not just a, a nice servant of God. He's, he's not just a really good uh, preacher. Like, this is the exact representation of God. That's a pretty good reason to count Jesus as Lord and, and to be confident in Jesus as Savior. Why else, out of, out of this passage, why should we be confident in Jesus? Mm. Yeah, Uh, so the battle is won, um, and it is great. Like, not only did he win the battle, but the battle that he won is purification uh, for sins. Like, every sin you've committed, like, that's now been wiped clean. Jesus handled that on the cross and the empty grave and the ascension. So uh, the battles we fight daily, um, you know, these are kind of these small skirmishes, but Jesus has already won, and then after winning, he sits down, not you know, in uh, a a nap form, but at the right hand of God in heaven, that's where Lord of life sits. That's a pretty good reason to be confident in Jesus. All right, there's at least one more thing I pulled out. Go ahead. This is kind of just a tackle into that. Yeah. By him sitting at the right hand, that gives us confidence that we have direct access to God. Yes. So through Jesus, we have access to the creator of the universe. Yes, we do. And we're going to highlight that uh, because Hebrews is going to go even more details on that. I don't know which chapters you guys have necessarily been pulling from, um, but obviously Hebrews is this great confidence booster. And one of it, it's, it's going to be in, I don't know, chapters three or four, I think, when we get to that, that that one's really going to talk about some of that direct access. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, all the angels worship Jesus. Uh, and his very name is superior to theirs. Um, So again, if if I'm looking at kind of the order of things, if I'm going to be confident in one Lord, confident in one Savior for my eternal life, uh, I don't want to trust just a nice servant. I don't even want to trust Michael as the archangel. Like, I I don't want to put my faith in him. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, who himself is superior to all angels. His, His name that he has inherited, and I almost feel like this is like a recollection of like the Yahweh name, like, Jesus is part of this Yahweh God. Like, he's inherited that identity as the Almighty God. And that is far better than any angelic name, far better than any human name, um, far better than any servant that you could possibly have of God. You've got Jesus uh, in his superior state. All right, so lots of good things. Let, let's jump over to chapter 2. This one's going to be a little lengthier to read, uh, but we're going to talk about probably the coolest aspect of Jesus is that he provides salvation. Uh, So chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 5. 
If someone would read kind of a lengthy section for me, chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. 5 through 18. If I can have a volunteer read those verses for me. 5 through 18. Go ahead, Todd. Now it was not the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, but as man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, you left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while is made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Uh, thank you. Uh, it, you guys will notice as, as we go through the evening, uh, I'm very comfortable reading large sections of Scripture. Uh, I, I'm not here to wow you with like fancy theologies that prove Jesus is the Messiah. I'm not here to, to impress you with the apologetics of all the sciences, why Jesus should be Lord. I'm very comfortable just doing what Christians have done for 2,000 years, and that's just letting God speak instead of me. And so we, we will be reading these, these big sections. Thank you for reading. Propitiation, covering that for other people who may not necessarily have wanted to cover that. Um, but yeah, the Word of God, man, it just it covers so much. Uh, and it testifies so heavily to the authority of Jesus. There's a lot in here in this section that gives me confidence. What gives you confidence in this section? Why are you confident that Jesus is Lord and King and ought to be the Lord of your life? What gives you confidence in here? Verse 10 says that everything was made for him and through him. Mm. Everything. Everything is made for Jesus and through Jesus. Again, if I'm going to trust one individual with my eternal soul... It's nice for it to be the person who made everything and who gets to keep everything, uh, and it's his possession. Uh, that's, that's a pretty good reason to be confident in Jesus. So, thank you. What else? Why would we be confident in Jesus based on this testimony of Scripture? Verse 8 says, uh, God left nothing that is not subject to him, yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. Mm. So everything is subject to him. Yeah. 
And it's encouraging to know uh, that even back then, faithful Christian leaders and faithful Christian attenders of churches, uh, they recognize not everything feels like it is in subjection to them at the moment. But, you know, we believe in a God who has committed that all to Jesus, so it is in subjection. And so maybe just to kind of unpack that uh, a little bit, um, we look outside at, at the world. Again, you can look at news stories. You can just read the newspapers if you do that. You can check Twitter. You can check Facebook. You can go wherever it is. I'm guessing Twitter and Facebook aren't probably your top sources here. Um, but wherever you go for your kind of news of what's going on in the world, you will find evidence that says not everything seems to be in subjection to Jesus. But that's okay, because we're not talking about what's happening right now in this very second. In the long span of history, everything is in subjection to Jesus. When the end of time is here and Jesus returns, because we are faithful and we believe he returns, everything will be subject to Jesus. That means at the end of the day, being a Pittsburgh Steelers fan means nothing in comparison to my faithfulness to Jesus. At the end of the day, um, what college you went to, um, what friend group you're a part of, what uh, favorite genre of books you read, what, what you fangirl over. It, none of that matters at the end of the day because everything is in subjection to Jesus. But I also think it's encouraging then because all of your worries are in subjection to Jesus. The stress you have over work, Jesus got that covered. The stress you have over your, your car, over your house, over your payments and bills, Jesus, at the end of the day, has everything possible covered and under his authority. It may not always feel like it, but we trust God. And God says everything is in subjection to Jesus. That, that should give you some confidence. You may not feel like you're in control. You may feel like the world is out of control. But in the end, Jesus has got all this covered. You just don't see it yet. Why else should we be confident in Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, if we're going to have a God um, that we worship and give our lives to, I don't want it to be a God that I just talk to one way. Uh, I don't want to just put my offering envelope in. I don't want to just help somebody out and, and hopefully, you know, God seeing these things. I, I don't want to go through persecution and temptation and just say, I, man, I, I really hope God could understand this one. We don't even have to, like, wish or any of that because Jesus went through it. Um, this is not a passive God. I like that word choice. Like Jesus is not a passive Lord of your life. He is active. He is living. Uh, we can backtrack earlier. He is sitting at the right hand of God. We believe in a living God, not a dead God. So Jesus is living and Lord, and he has been through what you've been through. Uh, so when we were at camp uh, this, this summer, I, I taught the class on temptation. And so we spent pretty much the entire class time in the temptations of Jesus uh, in the early part of the Gospels and going into his ministry. And it, it's just so encouraging to know that the very Son of God who came here to die for us also went through all of the temptations. He was hungry, but he committed himself to God so he wouldn't eat. Um, he was given the option to test God to make sure that he really was the Son of God, jump off this cliff, and you know God will you know, take care of you. But you know if, if you don't trust God enough, I guess you don't have to, but... You know, hey, Jesus, if you just jump, God should pick you up. Uh, I mean, man, that would be tempting to be like, okay, that would definitely guarantee that I'm the son of God if I jumped off this building. And, but he, he resisted that one. Then Satan says, hey, I'll, I'll give you everything right now. 
all those you know, poor people out there, all the sick people, you can go help them immediately. Just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, no, I don't have to. And Jesus goes through these temptations that we go through too. Man, it's so much easier. We go back to that story of that football player. It's easier to lie to get what we want than it is to always be faithful and, and truthful and do things right. Uh, it, it is easier sometimes to sell a bit of our soul to, to let evil and temptation have just a small piece of our lives because then we can do so many better things. And Jesus is like, I've been there. I didn't do it. I don't want you guys to do it either. And so we have a Lord and a Savior who has been through all of that temptation. And we go to physical suffering. And wow, like I, I, can't, I can't even imagine what it's like on the cross. Like I get a hangnail and I, I get very irritated at the pain and discomfort I have to go through. Um, you know, I, I stub a toe, I smack my arm on a refrigerator, and I'm like, man, this, this is not fun pain. And, and there's Jesus with a crown of thorns being whipped and lashed and nailed to a wooden cross to hang for hours until he dies. Okay, he's got the pain covered. You go to the emotional turmoil that Jesus had to have gone through when his 12 closest followers, he knows one of them's going to betray him so that he dies and goes through all of that pain. The rest of them are witnessing him doing miracle after miracle, greatness after greatness. And then they say, who's this guy who can control the winds and the waves? How does he have power and authority to do these things? And Jesus is like, I'm the son of God, guys. I, I've been there. Don't you see? And they say, no, we don't see. And so whenever you're living a faithful life and you're like, I really wish my friend would just trust God like me. Why can't they get it? Why don't they see the big picture that Jesus is Lord? And, and you're waiting and you're waiting. Jesus has been there too. He has waited he has felt every emotion that you have felt, and he has gone through all the pain that you could go through. And then he says, I'm also going to be Lord of your life. And whenever you need, just talk to me. Say a prayer. I'll be there. I'm there to be an ever-present, active, living Lord. That's a good reason, I think, for us to have confidence in who Jesus is. Anything else out of this section that you want to highlight of, of reasons for you to be confident in Jesus as Messiah and Lord of your life. 14 and 15. Go for it. Um, he has uh, destroyed evil, the power of death, mm. the devil, and he has uh, given hope and confidence to those who have been slaves to the fear of death. Yeah. Uh, again, if I'm going to trust one individual to be Lord of life, I like it to be the one who conquered the king of death. Um, that's, that's a pretty good victory to be on. Um, death, I mean, I think it's, that's what Corinthians, we can go back to. Death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? Like that's, it, death has no power because Jesus beat death. Satan has no ultimate power because Jesus beat Satan. Uh, and I can't imagine the fear that Satan has to be in continually knowing that his time is up and he's just kind of treading water waiting for, for the ultimate destruction. So he's trying to take as many souls with him as he can. Like, I really do believe it's kind of Satan's mentality at this point because he's been beaten um, and he doesn't want to go down quietly. So that's why we see a lot of pain, a lot of evil out there. Uh, it's because Satan still wants to cause trouble, but he's been beaten because Jesus nailed Satan's power to the cross and left it there. And when Satan's like, no, I got you in the tomb, then, then God raises him up, which by the way, we have the power of God that living in us uh, we get that as testimony elsewhere. Again, lots of great reasons to be confident in Jesus. Why do we not give up? That's the theme of this book. Why don't we give up? Because we are confident in Jesus. All right, what else? Anything else from, from this section? All right, we should have time for at least one or two more. Let's go to chapter 
chapter 3. Chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, if I could have a volunteer read verses 1 through 6 of Hebrews chapter 3. Go ahead. All right, before we dive into confidence here, what makes a good Christian leader? Like whether it be your preacher, your elder, what, what qualities are there? What makes them a good Christian leader? This is, this is open to... Okay, faithfulness. Go ahead. Courage. Courage. Yeah, those, those are great things in leaders. What else? What's, what makes a good Christian leader? What was it? Confidence, certainly. Christ-like, what else? Self-control, servant. All right, so imagine having someone like Moses, who's got most of those under his belt. I mean, he's, he's faithful to God. He's leading the people of Israel. He's doing all these great things. But you know what? Jesus is better than Moses. You can imagine the, the best preacher you've ever heard. It's probably not me. Uh, it is probably somebody you've, I mean, maybe it's your current preacher. I, I hope you guys love your preachers and think they're the best. Uh, that would be awesome. But you can imagine the very best possible Christian leader on the face of the earth. They're still not going to be better than Jesus. Because Jesus is better than even someone like Moses, who is almost worshipped close to like, right underneath God, there's Moses and the law of Moses and the leadership of Moses. Like Moses was a big deal. He's got nothing on Jesus. All right. What else gives you confidence out of this passage here? Why should we be confident in Jesus as Lord of our lives. Why don't we give up on faith? What do you see out of chapter 3 here? There's something about a house that I kind of like that, that concept that he gives there. How about faithful over the house? I don't know if, if this is not something I've probably spent a whole lot of time dwelling on, um, but the builder is better than the house itself. Um, and, and I think we, we live in a country where we really like our things. Uh, I really like my things. Uh, I, I'm a collector to some degree. I've got like 200, I just bought another, 219, 221 Star Wars books. Um, like that's, that's my thing. I, I've got like 375 Star Wars action figures. Uh, like, I, I, I collect, and I'm very proud that I have this, this big collection. You know, other people, they're proud of the, the car that they drive and the luxury stuff. Other people are very proud uh, of the house that they have, the decorations they have in their rooms, um, it, all the way down to the very sense of their hand soap. And, and they're just very proud. Like, they are, they're, they're hospitable. They want you over. They've got these great things in the house. Um, but you know what? More credit should go to the designer of that house than the house itself. The person who put all that hard work to make that house feel good and comfortable and welcoming, like, the credit should go to them, not to the, good job, hand soap, you showed up today and, and did good work. Uh, that's, that's not the message we get. So as we come to God's people, God's people, we can be great. 
do great things, bless the community. We, we, we can be light to the world and all that is great, but we're never going to touch who Jesus is. And so if there is somebody to worship, don't worship the preacher, the elder, any great Christian leader that you read or listen to. As much as Kyle Eidelman might have good things to say in his books, he's got nothing when it comes to Jesus because Jesus built the house. We're just, we're living in it. We, we are living the dream, the Christian dream, so to speak. We, we get the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We get to be part of a faithful community. Great things, but the builder's better. And if I'm going to trust one individual to be Lord of my life, I don't want it to be someone who lives in my house. I want it to be the builder of the house. And so we've got Jesus who's built the house. Flip over to chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 14 through 16. So it's just three verses this time, a little easier. 14 through 16 of chapter 4. Can I have a volunteer read that for me, please? Go ahead. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Awesome. All right, so here, even within our very little uh, couple verses, we're going to get our theme word of confidence. Uh, the Hebrew author believes we should have confidence. Why, out of these couple verses, should we have confidence in Jesus? What gives us confidence now? Jesus understands our weaknesses. He's not unable to sympathize, which is kind of a long way of saying he is able to sympathize. Like, Jesus can get it, right? We, and we, we talked about that some. Like, Jesus is there. Um, and I think the reason that keeps popping up in our conversations and in what we hope uh, is because we need that. We, we need a Lord who can understand what we're going through. Um, I, we, we don't have children yet. Um, but I imagine when we have children and they're in pain, I want to be able to say, I get it, right? The, the reason you're upset with that friend, I get it. You know, the, the pain you feel from, from scraping your knees, I, I, I get it. Like, I, I want us to be able to relate to our kids. Well, we have a God in heaven and a Lord of our lives who can say, I get it. I, I, I've been there. I sympathize. I feel you. Um, and we can have confidence in that. Why else should we be confident in Jesus? Go ahead. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. So this this is great. You highlight a couple of really great points there. So a in the story of Esther, if you're not familiar, uh, Esther is living in this court system that that she does not have a lot of authority in, and the king. I mean, he's he's the one with real authority, and if you approach the king without an invitation, uh, it's not like an NFL camp where you can just show up and lie your way through. Um, you approach the king without an invitation and, and your odds are you'll probably die unless he happens to be in a good mood. The story of Esther really highlights how God kind of manipulates everything and God's in control. The king was in a good mood that day and so he extended his scepter, which meant Esther could come forward and make her request. That wouldn't have happened without God kind of controlling some strings there. Um, but we don't go through that process. Now, when we go to Jesus, like we could stop right now and pray and that'd be perfectly fine. Uh, you can be driving on the road, 
and you just really need to talk to God, and you can talk to God. You, you can have somebody talking to you, and they're making your blood pressure rise, and you can say, I'm not even going to listen to you for a moment. I'm going to talk to God. You don't have to go through a waiting process. That um, There's no waiting to, to make sure your resume comes back and it's okay. There's no waiting to make sure that you have the qualifications, that your righteousness has earned you a spot. There's none of that. We can go and talk to God and approach the very throne of God with confidence. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good reason to, to call Jesus Lord and to be confident in him. What else in this section? Why should we be confident in Jesus? Perfection. Yeah, if if I'm going to trust one person to be Lord, I want it to be the perfect one who's never sinned. Uh, again, I, I want to say Christian leaders like myself, we live good lives, but guess what? We sin. Uh, we say things we shouldn't say. We think things we shouldn't think. We do things we shouldn't do. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is perfect without sin. Uh, every time that you, you feel angry, you want to sin, you can remember Jesus, he was able to handle that. Jesus got angry. He witnessed evil and pain in the world. He witnessed arrogant people. He, he witnessed Satan at work. Didn't sin. Uh, every time you feel lost and you want to despair and, and you want to cry out and curse God like Job's wife kind of encourages him to do because she's like, everything's awful. Jesus, he faced some tough circumstances being led to the cross and didn't sin. Like We have the perfect savior who did not sin and then he sits at the very throne of god this is something that i think is 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 really cool this throne that we can approach with confidence um, that we can walk to this is a throne that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need man mercy and grace those are things i want all of the time um and i'll be honest i basically need them all of the time And through Jesus, I can have access to mercy and grace all of the time. If you sin on Monday, you don't have to wait till Sunday to receive forgiveness. Uh, If if, if you were hurting and in pain on Tuesday, you don't have to wait till Wednesday night Bible class to find hope and grace and healing. Anytime you need access to God, you've got it. And you can approach it with confidence. Not that you might receive grace, but that you do receive grace. Uh, We have a hope in Jesus that is not based on what ifs. You know, it's not if Jesus is in in a good mood or if I've said the right kind of words in my prayer. Like, that's not the system we operate on. We approach with confidence and we receive guaranteed mercy and grace. I think those are pretty good reasons to be confident in Jesus. Anything else you want to highlight in these couple verses? All right, we're going to do one more, uh, and then we'll end uh, with a, a couple final notes. Hebrews chapter 9, to flip over a couple chapters this time. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. <clears throat> chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. That'll be our final scripture we read, if someone would read that for me. Chapter 9, 11 through 14. Go ahead. Sanctified for the purification of the flesh, 
How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Reasons for us to be confident in Jesus? He shed his blood for us. And he still lives, reigning right beside God, seated at the throne of God. I think that's a pretty good reason for us to maintain confidence in Jesus. I hope as you read this book that you're finding encouraging moments, that it does kind of encourage you to to live a life of faith, to not give up when things feel down and scary and and worrisome. But at the end of the day, I I want you to come back to the Bible and just say, "Why, why should I believe in God? Guys, you can read Hebrews 1 all the way through the final pieces of, what, 13? Yeah, 13. You can read through that whole thing, and you're just going to get evidence after evidence after evidence. Why should you be confident in your faith? Why should you be confident in Jesus? It's because he's better than everything. He's better than human leaders. He's better than the high priests. His his very blood is better than the blood of goats and animals. Like you You don't have to do any sort of sacrifice or offering to get you through the gates of heaven. All you got to do is give your life over to Jesus. And yeah, that, that's hard. Uh, living a life of faith is hard. It's not going to be easy to proclaim Jesus when other people say, no, there's better gods out there than Jesus. It's not going to be easy to, to proclaim Jesus when you enter into a work environment that says faith is not allowed where you work. It's not easy to proclaim Jesus when you have family members who say, don't pray before we eat. We don't want to talk about God. We want to watch football. We want to drink our drinks and have fun. And we don't need God here. It's not easy to maintain your faith all the time, but you can do it because Jesus is right there ready to bring you through any circumstance. Uh, this, this last week, so one week ago today, um, I, I just want to share a quick story of why I have confidence in who God is. And God has been showing up in my life over and over again. Uh, I'm only 26 years old. I feel like I have at least 40 years worth of evidence of why God is good and shows up in life. I'm a preacher's kid, and my grandfather's a preacher. My great-great-grandpa was a preacher. So maybe it just is like, you know, God's just highlighting in my head all these reasons that he's there. Um, but we, we were at church, and, and one of our, our younger members left their purse um, and was already, she lives 15 minutes away. She was like three minutes from home. And so I, I called her and said, hey, um, you know, you left your purse. Actually, I think her phone was probably in the purse because she didn't answer. So I called her fiancé, and he answered. And I was like, you know what, uh, you know, I, rather than turning around and driving again and adding like 45 minutes of drive time, I'll just drive over and drop your purse off. So I drove over, dropped the purse off, you know, said goodbye, started to drive back to the church, and my car died. Um, and I was, if you guys know where Morse Road is, um, Morse Road, this is getting close to Cleveland Avenue, where uh, my church building is. And so I'm going 45 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, kaboom. Like, I, I feel it shift in my car. The check engine light pops on. The check oil light pops on. I didn't even know that was a thing. And, and then, then I, I, I lose power. The, the gas doesn't work. And I, I, I start to panic initially because, like, this could be really, really bad. And I look around me, and I kid you not, there's not a single car anywhere near me. I'm in the far right lane, and there's a gas station just, just a little bit ahead of me on the left. I'm able to go from the far right lane, four lanes over, to get down to the green light. Oh, it's a green light. There's no cars coming. So I cross another four lanes, pull into the gas station with enough power to still get to a parking spot, park perfectly fine just as the steering wheel is locking up. I, I pull up Google Maps and kind of say, you know, where do I want to take my car? And then I remember one of our elders and deacons, they, they have an older brother 
who owns an auto shop, which happens to be a quarter mile away from where I just broke down. Um, and then I, I, I call Geico. They, they come and they, they bring a tow truck within like 20 minutes, which was super fast. Uh, as I'm backing my car out and, and trying to line it up for them, two random strangers come over, instantly help me get it all in position. Then they leave before I could even say thanks. And then I was home. Oh, and while I'm like, oh, how am I going to work on my sermon? My wife happens to still be at the church with another church member. And they were able to get all my sermon notes, go home. I was home within an hour of all this happening. And then I get a phone call the next day. They're like, yeah, your timing belt broke. We, our guy who's going to fix it, it'll probably be like a week, week and a half before he gets to it. I'm like, what am I going to do without a car for a week and a half? Uh, then I get a phone call a couple hours later. It's like, no, we got a guy who can come in. He'll fix it in the morning. Everything else in your car is fine. Should be no, no issue. Within 48 hours, my car is perfectly fine, and I'm driving again. Like, I didn't have time to complain. All I can do is sit there and just be like, wow, God watched out for me. Like, I, I'm going fast, and timing belt breaks. There's all sorts of things that could happen in your car. Um, I, again, I don't know cars that well. This is just what I'm told. I could have had a lot of problems. No problems. I'm on a relatively busy road, and I cross seven lanes, not a single car, uh, and I have perfect power. I, I could have died. I could have crashed. I could have hit somebody else. Not a single issue. I sit back. I go, Wow. I've got confidence in a God who watches out for me because there's nothing that explains this. When I went to pick up my car and, and I shared that story with the lady who was sitting there kind of ringing me up, uh, there was a guy in the background who's just like, wow, man, you're so lucky. It's like luck has absolutely nothing to do with why I was okay that day. Like I have confidence in God who watches out. We have a song um, that I want us to close us out uh, singing tonight. Um, so the hymnal in front of you, it's 538, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Um, you may not even need a hymnal to, to sing that song, um, but I wanted to sing that first verse together because our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. You don't have to be a perfect Christian for God to show up and take care of you. You, you don't have to go through all the sacrifices that the, the Levites performed back in the day. You don't have to do that. Um, you, you don't have to live a perfect life whatsoever. God is there and has covered you, and opens wide the, the gates of heaven. Just live a faithful life. Trust in Jesus to take care of you, because that is where your hope lies, because our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus, and that's it. So we're going to sing the first verse, um, and then I'll close us in prayer, and we'll be dismissed from there. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Father, we thank you so much for providing Jesus, for giving us confidence to never give up, to continue to live faithful lives because Jesus is better than everything. He's better than every teacher we've ever had. He's better than every parent we've ever had. Jesus is, is, is greater than any temptation we might face, greater than any sins that we've committed. Jesus in his blood is greater than any sacrifice we could do. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the confidence that we have as we believe your word and what it proclaims about who your son is. 
I thank you for the Spring Road Church, and I just pray a blessing over these people here tonight, Father, that you would shower them with blessings, that you would fill them with your Spirit and give them confidence in Jesus as King and Lord and Messiah so that they live faithful lives and that they don't give up. Father, thank you for your church and the work that it does in the world, and thank you for Jesus who has built the church and who is far greater than any person in the church. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.